Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today and you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. You got to lead us in. Oh, no. Hold on. What was your joke about? Okay. That's how I'm going to introduce myself. Well, this is Jordan. I'm gonna, I'll tell a joke. Because. <laughs> <laughs> We're already recording, so. Oh, are we? Yeah. Son of a, a bitch. A little late there, bud. Uh, I was surfing around the interwebs today, and uh, I saw that the, what is it now? It used to be uh, the, Na- the National Deer Association. Used to be called... Uh, Quality Deer Management Association. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right? QDMA. So they did a study uh, where they hooked up a a speaker to a trail camera, and they were testing to see what noises scared deer the most, right? What what noises deer were most fearful of. And they did it in Georgia, and then what they would do is when the, the camera would detect a deer at the bait pile, there would be a time delay, and then it would play a randomized series of noises from anything from like um, uh, birds to like at night, it would play the uh, screech owl, stuff like that. Um, And then during the day, it would play daytime bird noises, people talking, coyotes, wolves, panthers, which wolves and panthers haven't lived in Georgia for some time. Um, And then the whole thing was to, to see what noise scared them the most. Well, they come to find out that deer are the most scared of human voices, male or female, doesn't matter. Huh. Interesting. Kind of makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. So they're playing it at 70 decibels at like five feet, so about as loud as your dishwasher. So <clears throat> that should tell you right there. That's, being quiet is pretty important. important. Yeah. So when Fred Bear figured it out many years ago when he said, sit still and be quiet, that's pretty dang important. But we've come in here this week, so we, we came in this week. We're, we're here to not talk about that. I just thought it was an interesting fact. Maybe we'll jump on to that study further on down the road. That's just a quick synopsis of what you're looking at there. But I got Jordan in the studio with me this week. Yeah, I'm here for you. I got a joke for you, too. You know? People don't think the grass is wet in the morning, but they do. <laughs> I got Briar. How y'all are? And we got Tyke way out from uh, from all the way out in California bringing him in over the computer. 
How you doing? So Tyke has been on the podcast before, but the last time Tyke was on the podcast was over a year ago back in season one. Yeah, you were breaking down uh, ammo. Weren't you? you guys were talking about wildcatting or something, weren't you? Uh, we talked, we did a three-part series on uh, building rifles, and then we went into, we did a two-part series with you and your brother, Scott, about your backcountry mule deer hunt. Yeah, yeah, so we did that. I know we talked a little bit about uh, maybe trying to do a ammunition and reloading podcast, but um, it hasn't worked out as of yet. Uh, that's pretty, I don't know, that's a pretty... Uh, involved subject to try and get into on a single podcast yeah it's not something uh that's definitely a multi-part deal there but we've assembled this crew this week to talk about i know we've been seeing in some headlines i've seen it anywhere from npr to uh, sportsman's alliance every side of the media is covering the fact that the meat eater that meat eater the Center for Biological Diversity, which is a nonprofit uh, activist group, is suing the Biden administration to close a little over 2 million acres of public land to hunting in national wildlife refuges. And oddly enough, it's not the 2 million acres that the Biden administration just opened. It's the two million acres that the Trump administration opened in 2020, I believe. Something like that. And their whole basis on closing that land was the fact that they say that hunters are causing depredation to wildlife outside of, you know, what we're there to take if you're hunting turkeys or whatever, <laughs> to predator species, eagles, bears, other things that these national wildlife refuges are actually designed to protect via lead poisoning, and that we're trampling delicate native habitat. So is is there actually any like hard facts behind, like science, science that we're killing these eagles? And I mean like a conservative number that you're watching a population deplete because of lead poisoning yes okay we're gonna get into that and that'd be the second part of this but before we do talk a little bit more about that the lawsuit the big concern right now is the fact that they're keeping everything behind kind of closed doors and they're trying to they're not allowing in the sportsmen's parties and things in the negotiations so they're afraid to be afraid we're underrepresented, which is, I mean, uh, a fair fear, I do believe. Uh, but I don't know, man. And this, you know, those of you know, we are a Florida-based podcast, and we stand to lose land that we just gained through the Trump administration. Yeah, Merritt. Well, Merritt Island's been around. Well, I don't no. think we've been able to hunt turkeys on Merritt Island, which is one thing that's now open out there. Um, what can you, do you know what you can hunt on Merritt Island? No. So I know for I'm a no fact that, yeah, I know we've always, we've been, we've been to hunt, uh, been able to hunt ducks out there for some time now. Um, but that's not what they're, they're going for. I think, I know for a fact, one of the big things in Florida is going to be, uh, pulling the turkey hunt out of the Panther refuge. 
Oh, that'd be a big <clears throat> hit. Yeah. I'll say, because, yeah, especially, I mean, down towards the Panther Refuge, turkey hunting, you're, you're south of, what, 50 at that point. So the Osceola, that's a huge thing for them down there. That is what most would consider Osceola territory. Mm-hmm. Although now with the expansion of Osceola's, you can definitely kill Osceola's north of 70. Um, but that's another heated debate topic. <laughs> I think there's there several different maps out there that show you like a dividing line. There's some parts of Lake County you can kill Osceola, some parts where they consider them Easterns, but you actually just need to look at the bird you kill and go from there because there is a definitive difference in the two. The Osceolas are a lot darker than an Eastern is. Yeah. And they're smaller, longer-legged. And a lot of people say that they're uh, they're just a, a, a water-based Eastern, and that's why they end up darker and with the longer legs. I can legs. believe it, because further you go south, the swampier gets. So. Right. They're, they've evolved to live in the swamp, in the, the marsh areas, and yeah. around a lot of water. I want to say they opened up a turkey hunt not too long ago. There was negotiations to open a turkey hunt on Merritt Island, and I don't know whether you can archery hunt out there. I know it's full of daggum pigs. Oh, dude. There's some stud bucks out there, too. You remember when we were fishing? Oh, yeah. And we were That that wasn't Merritt Island, but that was Cape property, right? Yeah, government property, yeah. I thought that was too far north. No, it's still government property where we're looking at, but I don't know if that, but I guess that probably would probably wouldn't belong to the Cape. No, I don't know if it was government property or not, but it was a huge pig. But we were just out in this big old dang boar hog. Right on the edge of the flats. Right on the edge of the flats. What are your thoughts on the whole deal, Tank? Well, I don't, I'm just sitting here, um, I was just reading a little bit about it, and it says that actually this lead poisoning issue is not really affecting the bald eagles, but the golden eagles. But their data is somewhat skewed. Uh, they're saying that uh, acute lead poisoning is occurring in 27 to 33% of bald eagles and 7 to 35% of golden eagles, which 7 to 35 seems like a... That's a pretty big range. A pretty big range. Yeah. yeah. So it just seems a little bit strange sitting here reading. Uh, this is, I can't get that white paper that I was reading up the other day. Um, when I tried to go back there, there was a login to be able to pull that thing back up. So I I may need to uh, jump into a, a tour or something like that and mask my subnet, be able to get back in there. But I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> so I wish I would have saved it. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it just seems somewhat strange, um, what we have going on here. And I don't know. I, I know, uh, you know, just, just looking at this, they, when they put, uh, bald eagles into the, um, what is that? The endangered species list. When they do that, they have a recovery goal. And in 2007, the bald eagles were removed because they had reached that recovery goal. And all the while, we were still hunting with lead ammunition all over the place. So I'm, I'm not really sure how that, you know, how that really uh, jibes with everything that's, that they're trying to accomplish. It, it sounds like this uh, 
Center for Biological Diversity is just trying to to do another backdoor deal to kill hunting. Um, so, um, well, what we do have on our side, though, is that we have the, the 1997 National Wildlife Refuge Improvement Act, um, which was a, a landmark legislation drafted and pushed through Congress, um, which ensures that hunting, fishing, and trapping would occur on any refuge where it's compatible. So the historic law at that point opened millions of acres to hunting as, and then every presidential administration since has touted expansion of opportunities within the system. Literally that that's a bipartisan effort right there. Every single time we get president, no matter democratic or Republican, Democrat or Republican, they're always expanding further and further. And Biden actually opened more land in National Wildlife Refuges than Trump did, not by a whole lot, a couple hundred thousand acres, but comparatively. <clears throat> um, but that that's there to, to keep us from doing that. See, Marin Island. Not to cut you off there. Evan. So oh. you have deer and hog hunting opportunities available. Waterfowl, deer, and hog all in yeah. season. And we Which, were trying I mean, to get turkey. Is it trying to get turkey? I mean, that's what it says there. That's their Merritt Island website. Right. And I know that some of the, the FWC commission meetings that I attended virtually and stuff like that, there was there was an attempt to get turkey out there. And I know that I think there's studies being conducted possibly. I'm not sure. Not 100% sure on that. But I know they want turkey hunting out there. From what I understand, there's plenty of turkeys out there to hunt. Uh, there's plenty of dang turkeys all over this place, all over the state to hunt. That's one thing we are not lacking in is turkeys. No. Yeah, I was just driving the other day, see 15 of them literally standing on the side of the road. And some good-sized gobblers in that group, too. I say all the subdivisions we do sound there are some turkeys getting in those things. But. Yeah, so some of this, uh, you know, the part of this whole thing is the Center for Biological Diversity is looking at trying to um, ban even lead tackle. Um, so no more lead weights. And that's because you, as f fishermen, you have another option. You can use tungsten. It's Yeah, it's three times as much, but you can still use it. Just like non-lead ammo. It costs three times what regular lead ammo does, but it's still there. And so it's just removing a poorer class from being able to have access to hunting and fishing. Yeah. Well, is is that well? If it depends on if, if there's a total ban on lead ammunition, or if it's just in on refuges. If it's a, if it becomes like. A national I think even ban if, on lead, I think ban ammunition, it, then the price will drop eventually. I think even if you put it on refuges, all that does is stick a foot in the door to make a total ban for it. So I, I think we're we're going down the road towards a total ban nationwide on it. I don't uh, disagree. Which with will you. which will lower the cost of non lead ammunition, but copper costs more than lead. So it will never be cheaper than lead just because it's worth more. So they still mint coins out of it. This is uh, the, and that the, the whole non-toxic hunting ammunition 
outside of waterfowl is the whole reason we brought Tyke in here this week because, as I stated earlier, Tyke lives and hunts in the state of California, and you guys haven't been able to hunt with lead for how long? 2019 was a total lead ban. And that's just on hunting ammunition, right? You can still shoot lead at targets. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can still shoot lead at targets. Um, and so initially they came up with this, you know, you you shoot lead and and uh, different birds will pick up lead shot and they'll put it in their um, gullet to be able to, it was called a gullet, to be able to uh, basically help digest their food. Well, that gizzard. didn't really, gizzard, thank you. Yeah. Um, th- that didn't really pan out. Um, and so then they went into the California condor was being found in what's called the condor range. Um, and you weren't allowed to hunt with lead within the condor range for, uh, quite some time. And, uh, and then in 2019, they implemented a total ban on hunting with lead in California. So, but before we jump into this lead discussion, which I'm assuming is going to, probably going to take up the majority of this podcast, I want to talk a little bit about um, the fact that they think that we as hunters are trampling the, the, the habitat down. Uh, and that's fine, but the problem is, the problem I see with that argument is that as hunters, we are a very small subset of recreational users in national wildlife refuges. Let's see, you got birders, uh, hikers, dang, people that ride around on bikes. Those people are on the refuge more so than hunters would be. And generally, too, hunters are permitted, so there are only certain dates. Yeah, there's only so many. There's only certain dates we're allowed in and out of there to hunt. And, I mean, there's even so only so many days you can even scout. Yeah. I believe, too, on that stuff. But so a birder or a hiker can go in there. Anytime they want. Anytime. Yeah. Well, you look at, so we'll take St. Vincent's Island, for example, National Wildlife Refuge up in the Panhandle of Florida, which is a, it's 12 miles long, right? 12-mile island, yep. something like that. Um you're not allowed there to, you can't camp, you can day hike. Um, and then they allow hunters on there for, let's see, they have a three-day sandbar deer hunt. And then they have a three, or is it four-day, whitetail deer hunt. And that's it. There's two hunts. Eight days out of 365 were allowed to be there. Yeah. Any other time of the year, and on top of that, there are certain designated areas where you have to camp because you have to stay on the island when you do it. You can't go back and forth from the island. Yeah. Oh, good, good. I'm there are certain areas where you're allowed to camp. There are certain areas where you're not allowed to go. Yeah. Certain areas where you're not allowed to hunt. And there's a pretty well-worn trail system through there, as with most National Wildlife Refuges. Like we talked about Merritt Island. I think about Black Point Drive, which is a big yeah. uh, a birding opportunity. Well. Okay, you know, Merritt Island, and you want to talk about the hunting opportunity, you're only in there, I'm pretty sure you're allowed in there seven days a week to bird watch or whatever, hike or whatever you can hike out there. I don't know if there's enough dry ground to actually hike. But, I mean, waterfowl, you're what, Wednesday and Saturdays? Yeah. And that's 60 days. 
and morning hunts yeah. only. So yeah, but everybody's course, out by noon. Right. I don't know. That's a, that's a, to me, that's a pretty, that's even more far-fetched than the lead to use that as an argument. And I, I'm going to say, do hunters destroy uh, the habitat that, that like, let me endanger habitat? I'll say, you know, there's, in that case, it's probably the few ruin it for the many. No, that's the answer. It's it's a yes or no question. Do does it get destroyed? Do we step on a plant that is endangered? Does that happen? Yes. Does a hiker do that? Yes. But the the thing is, is are we the large majority that does that? To to be honest, from what you said earlier, this sounds like this is not a wildlife thing. It sounds like it's a Trump thing. No, I think it's a hunting thing. And well, that, there's that too. Because they they don't like hunting in general, so they just want to stop it all. And it's it's more of I, personally, even the lead ammunition ban, I think, is a guard the gate thing, more so than anything, because it's it's just a way to chip away at all of it. And you know what? If it is if it is actually for the betterment of wildlife, then yeah, okay, fine. But there needs to, like especially for bird hunting. Steel ammunition sucks. So now, because steel is so cheap, and anybody wants to go shoot dove, they're going to be shooting by cheap steel ammunition, and there's going to be more birds wounded than end up at home because you're shooting cheap steel. And those birds are not going to get found. They're just going to die out there and be wasted. Whereas with lead, it'd probably be dead, and at least somebody would be able to eat it. And it so I haven't noticed that. Yeah. I haven't noticed that so much with uh, like doves. Uh, steel does just fine on doves, um, but turkey has been an issue. And so doves and quail, they steel seems to do just fine with those. But when you get into yeah the like turkey and stuff like that, then then you start noticing. Do you- in order to put a turkey down, you got to shoot three or. Four three times, you know, or hopefully you got backup or <laughs> some of these, or you got to spend a hundred dollars a box for tungsten, right? Uh, well, we can shoot bismuth and other stuff like that. So we're not still, you're, you're paying twice as much for, you know, bismuth or tungsten than you would steal. Uh, yes. Well, Maybe not bismuth, but tungsten would be for sure. Probably three times as much. Yeah, yeah. Bismuth is bismuth is definitely more. The, I wouldn't the, say that's twice, a mid row. A mid row. Yeah, and and so I do like you know uh, Dan and I will go when we hunt turkeys. Last year, there were some times where I ran to the plug, and he came and picked it up because we it would it just wouldn't go down. Jesus, um, and that's somewhat annoying to you, to have that happen. What, what about? Uh, do you have uh, have you ever hunted pheasant with non toxic? Yeah, yeah, Pheasant's they go a down pretty bird good. too. Yeah, but not. We're not talking a, a turkey. I've, yeah, I don't know. I've lost turkeys after I cut their head off because they got up and ran away. <laughs> yeah, that's happened <laughs> before. <laughs> you know, they just they stood up and they ran into these berry bushes, and I couldn't. 
get in there to get them out to save anything, you know, but those things didn't have a head. Yeah. I was holding their head in my hand and they ran off into these berry brambles. Turkeys are kind of a different breed. Uh, pheasants seem to go down just fine. Um, I just went in, I don't know, before the turn of the year. I think it was November, kind of towards the end of November, we went tur- uh, pheasant hunting. And yeah, they, they seem to go down just fine, but we're still shooting. We're shooting larger than you would normally, you know. So if, yeah. if normally you'd hunt pheasant with, uh, you know, a number six or something, we're out there with sixes or sevens. Like fours or fives, fours or fives, yeah, yeah. That's uh, but yeah. that's not really more expensive though. We're just bumping up the the shot size to yeah. be able to get a little more mass in there. That's interesting. I didn't think a lot about. Um, I mean, I but you know, I guess doves and quail are a little more fragile. Although I said they're more, I, yeah. I, I would swear I, well, I've I mean, seen dove shot with lead look like they're made of Kevlar. Yeah. You see <laughs> feathers true. go everywhere and, and, and no dove just keeps on going. Oh, we bust them all the time with the red rider in the backyard. <laughs> That's non-toxic, right? I guess snipe too, but sniper. They're, cop- they're copper. Yeah. But, but well, sniper. They're hard to hit anyway. They're just hard to hit. They're fast. Yeah. But, you know, uh, look, we had the option here. We had the option. We could go out and shoot more hens and just shoot lead. Yeah. But see, I'm I'm also hunting more hens where I duck hunt too. Right. But it's not it, illegal. Yeah. I'm I mean, I, I understand. I mean, that's kind of a personal thing that we we choose to shoot steel. We're shooting in the water. Right, Maybe you and that makes choose, sense. But if I can shoot lead, I'm gonna shoot lead. I use my leftover steel, which I'm out of by now. I think I got some number last season. The rusted stuff that's been hanging out in the boat all season. Yeah, some triple BB. Yeah, it's got some of that left. Yeah, I'd hang on to that for more hens. No, I wouldn't shoot it more hens. Not if you want to get any meat left. <laughs> Dude, they pattern so bad that yeah, I don't so, know how anybody hits a goose with them things. Briar shows up to Georgia. Uh, one time to duck hunt with us when I lived in Southeast Georgia. Three and a half inch. Yeah. And he's got how many boxes? One or two boxes? Two boxes of three and a half inch triple BB to hunt Something wood like ducks? That. To hunt wood ducks. I've since yeah. learned. He was putting them down, all right. <laughs> Put one down. I was putting the shells down on <laughs> Yeah. Put one he, down. He daggum shooting a, uh, that pump action Mossberg with a full choke in it. Shooting daggum. You, you killed the dang. How far was the dude? That, that squirrel wasn't ten yards. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking of that. Uh, the Drake you shot was probably he was a bit far, but he dropped like a hot rock, son. And then you sliced your finger open and bled all over my boat trying to pump your shotgun. Oh, oh no, that's trying yeah. to pump his shotgun. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> cut well, his finger. I think that was like the first time I'd shot that shotgun since I broke my wrist. Mm. So it was. It was just kind of awkward. A pump shotgun is awkward for me now still. Oh, that was kind of actually like the first time you got back into duck hunting, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's, that's, that's understandable. So, But I did. I, I laid my finger wide open. Yeah. I was like, you need to wrap that up because you're bleeding in my boat. All over the place. <laughs> I'm, like try, I'm trying to wrap it up and shoot wood ducks at the same time. 
mind you, this is me, and I wish you could see me and Briar. If you haven't seen me and Briar, we are not small fellas. No. And we are sitting in. We were hunting out of a twelve foot jumbo with an, with a Yeti sixty quart between us. Did we even? I don't even think we had. We the had cooler. the cooler in the, in there because we, we, that was when we showed up early and sat all afternoon. Did we? I didn't. I don't remember having the cooler. Pretty sure we had the cooler between us. We had something between us, but it's just two of us in a oh, twelve we had, foot. We had that. That boat was loaded down with anything. You could with think of. yeah, shotgun. Two of us. Two of us in a twelve foot John boat is plenty. Neither one of us with. had any dang decoys. You didn't need them in that spot. No, they. It was all passing shots. Well, neither one of us really had any clue. Not that we do now, but we have a little bit more of an idea now. <laughs> yeah, we should have all just gotten AJ's boat. That's what yeah. we should have done because he had that. His was a 14 foot. I thought it was 15. Or was it 14? Do you remember? AJ's was 14. That's what I thought. He had oh, a yeah. 14 foot John boat. A whole two extra foot? Yeah. <laughs> but dude, he had an actual blind. Mine was made out of a pipe that I'd scrapped from somewhere and some. I mean, this was like. Oh, even... It was pieces to that dang little uh, awning we put up over our patio. That's what it was. <laughs> After it got ripped apart, and I saved them, and I had them like screwed together and held with five fifty cords so that they would bend, and I made like this makeshift janky looking blind out of it. It worked though. For... I don't know if it lasted much longer than that. Oh no, son! I, I threw, threw, I threw it away after that. Me and hunt. Jordan put one, a different one on there, and it's still on there. That, that one, one works. Yeah, that one works pretty good. I threw away that other blind after that hunt. That was rough. You need to get that boat registered, man. Mm-hmm. That's a moorhen killing I gotta machine. I got to find the right paperwork. There. That's right. We and you did moorhen hunt out of that. killing machine right there. That's the first time we went moorhen hunt. We moorhen yeah. hunted out of the 12 foot John boat. boat. Shoot, I forgot about that. Your boat's not, your registration's up? In February, my birthday. I, I didn't think about it. <laughs> you better do that before we go to Orange Lake. <laughs> you can do yeah. it online. Yeah, I know. I'll do it. As long as you got the thing saying you did it, you should be good. Just be like, I ain't got the sticker in the mail yet. But, so, we get into the lead shot. So, before we really dive into the science behind uh, toxic versus non, you know, lead versus non-toxic shot, we've got a sweet experiment coming up uh, in July because there are some allegations the Tyke has made against, uh, Tyke has made <laughs> against uh, non-toxic, rifle ammunition that uh if you listen to some so if you listen to the episodes that that tyke's been on in season one you would know that tyke is a very knowledgeable uh when it comes to guns and reloading and you know building firearms stuff like that and if you listen to any of the other seasons you've heard zach from heartland precision rifles who also is extremely knowledgeable and uh we've come up with the idea that we are going to fly tyke in from california and we're going to compare lead versus non-lead hunting ammunition to see if we can get some of the accuracy things and if, if we can make a difference in accuracy. So Tyke, tell me some of the issues you've been having with non-toxic rifle ammunition. Okay. So to start off with, I've got, uh, we, we started 2019. I started having to load uh, non-toxic, I guess, even though copper is toxic. Uh, non-toxic ammunition using uh, copper solids and so what I originally started to do was try to match grain weight for grain weight so if I was shooting 130 grain 
uh, lead projectile out of a rifle, I went to a 130 grain copper projectile, and that was terrible. Yeah. I was getting uh, about three inches at 100 yards with that. <laughs> and so. And what were you getting with lead so that we understand comparatively? Uh, right around just over a half, just over a half inch um, at 100 with lead. And so when I went into these, you know, matching 100, my, so my 270 happens to like 130 grain lead projectiles and it would shoot them just over a half inch. Uh, so I, when I went to copper, I ordered the same thing and started loading those and I was getting about three inches on that. Um, I messed with the velocities a little bit uh, up and down to see if I needed to speed them up, slow them down to really no effect. I did, I did kind of arrive at if I went into like a plus P type of a load where if I went into overloading with uh, like fast burning powders and stuff like that and start pushing that thing around about 32 or 3,300 feet per second, I could get better accuracy at a hundred. Uh, so then I, kind of switched in 2020 uh, and did the engagement surface of the bullet. So I went and pulled some of my 130 grain lead bullets and I figured out what the engagement surface was on the lands and grooves. And so, so the I engagement ordered... surface, let me before I stop you for you going any further. The engagement surface is the flat spot between the, where the bullet, the conical shape of the bullet meets a flat spot before it goes into a boat tail at the real, at the rear of the bullet. Right. So if you have a boat tail, but yes, it's basically from the ogive, which is the conical tip where that ties in tangentially to the flat portion of the bullet. And then if you have a boat tail, it, it will dive off. If you don't have a boat tail, then it just ends there. And so that's the flat portion that is actually two caliber of a bullet. So that is what engages the lands and grooves in a rifle barrel is the flat portion. Um, so I went into that engagement surface and I started playing with those numbers a little bit and I was able to work up a, you know, um, mid range pressure load with those that grouped quite well at a hundred. I was getting a, about a three quarter inch group at a hundred, uh, with that. And it, I was pretty happy about that and until I put it on at 200 in which that group opened up to about six inches if I was lucky. So I started playing with the powders again and the charge weights, velocities, all that with these um, bullets that had equal engagement surface as the lead projectiles I was using. Um, bumping those up and down and I, I got something worked out that would shoot about three quarters of an inch at 100 and then be about three to four inches at 200, but then I couldn't even get it to register on a four by four sheet of plywood at three. So wow. uh, I, that's, and that's kind of where I'm at at this point. So it seems to me like the, uh, the sectional density of these copper bullets are in some way messing a little bit with the, um, 
external ballistics in that um, I don't know if you if you know this, but like if you the if you when you spin a top, it will may it will defy gravity and that it will stand up um, and, until it reaches a certain point where the rotational inertia ends and then gravity can overcome that. And so the heavier the top is, the longer it will spin for. So if you can make a you know 200 pound top and get that baby going, it would last for a very long time. And so I think, and that has to do with sectional density. So I think that the lower sectional density in the copper rounds is causing them to, uh, it, it's basically making the spin drift that happens in every round that's fired it's losing that it's losing its battle against gravity basically so once you get out to a certain point once that is starting to slow down then it starts to tumble and you end up with some erratic flight patterns are you seeing keyholing at 300 yards i can't even get it on a piece of four by four plywood at 300 yards so i'm not seeing a hole or a b hole or a keyhole <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, though, that it goes, I mean, it goes from a six-inch or, or a four-inch group to you throw another 100 yards in there, and you're not even on a four-by-inch plywood. I mean, he's going from a three-quarter, in 200 yards, he's going from a three-quarter-inch group to not even hitting a four-by-four sheet of plywood. Something's funky. Yeah. So, I know for our test in July, we're not going to be running a 270. Uh, we're going to be running a 6.5 PRC, and we're turning to Zach for the rifle. Uh, because we know the quality of Zach's builds, and uh, that's going to help us in that experiment eliminate the rifle accuracy. Now, I've shot Tykes 270 as well, which is a beautiful rifle, and it is more than capable of maintaining that accuracy, that half-minute of angle accuracy out to great distance. I ain't flying with it. No, I wouldn't <laughs> want you to fly with it. <laughs> That's uh that's that's uh there's too much uh sentimental sentimental value there. That gun is irreplaceable. Yeah, well both of them. Both my 270s are really kind of that way. But you you built those on Mauser actions? So the one the one that shoots 130s is a K98 Mauser. Uh, that I built with my dad and we did the stock and everything on that one. And so that was quite a project. Um, the Remington 700 is just one that my dad, he bought it in 74 and he's hunted with it for all those years. And he gave it to me 2012. And uh, that one generally likes the 150 grain lead I haven't really come up with something that works in there quite yet. So I shot the Mauser action, correct? We live. Uh, I believe so. Back when we used to be neighbors. <laughs> um, but beautiful rifle. No, I wouldn't want you to fly with those. That's too too much uh, too much trust in the airline. Yeah. I'd rather just come yeah. down here and uh, get behind, put you behind some of Zach's rifles, and and let's do some shooting there. So Zach is yeah, we'll sh- Go ahead. Well, uh, we'll shoot Zach's guns. I I like shooting other people's guns anyways because I know how mine shoot. 
but uh, that's going to be a very interesting experiment because, you know, not only were you talking to me at, at one point about how you're suffering in accuracy, but you're also seeing a significant more loss of meat uh, from the, the copper solids. Yeah, so the uh, the first deer I shot with one of these copper solid, I impacted a rib bone on the uh, entrance side, and I dumped the uh, heart, lungs, and all that soft tissue. I dumped that out like an old pail just dumped out of the body cavity. I lost one of the back straps on the exit wound side. Um, that entire rib cage, probably half of the front shoulder. Wow. And, uh, uh, and then it went up into the neck. So it blew up part of the neck. And so I lost it quite a bit, probably about a third of that deer went to bloodshot because it was, there was when that thing hit a bone, it just, exploded fragmented everywhere Hmm. so the exit wound was about six inches so the the lead study goes in to say that these eagles as well as bears and other uh species that are feeding on carrion which is uh like the gut pile you leave behind they're picking up pieces of lead from the gut pile, which is an undeniable fact that does happen. You can read it on the side of the box of any lead-based rifle ammunition. It will tell you 90% weight retention. Where does the other 10% go? Mm-hmm. It's inside that animal somewhere. It doesn't just disappear in thin air on the way to the target. So, but A certain amount could. It depends on how the jacket's laid out. So if you have a a flat base bullet where you have lead exposed when that lead gets superheated as it goes down the muzzle, you could lose some of that um, out the back into thin air as it were. So let's, let's, uh, let's talk about Hornady's. Now we'll we'll use like the ELDX bullet. For example, there's no exposed lead in the ELDX. That's a boat tail bullet with a a heat, uh, heat resistant type of ballistic tip on it. And, uh, so it does not lose that, that lead in flight, but it still doesn't have maintain a hundred percent weight retention when it hits. And they're very accurate hunting rounds. I love shooting them. I was shooting them out of my six, five Creedmoor for a long time and I need to mess around with it now to kind of figure it out and see if I can't, because they don't, they don't really want to stabilize anymore since I should cut the barrel down so far, but those those bullets are great, and you're still seeing a, a weight loss on impact. So you're yes. losing bits of lead. Oh, and, it's undeniable. Yeah. So yeah, like like I was saying, just some of that. You know, if you have an open uh, base or something, you're going to see some of that lead loss will happen during bullet flight. But I would say the majority is going to happen on impact when that uh, when that bullet opens up to create more damage that lead is molten and it's going to go somewhere and it's only disappear it's only taking a piece of lead the size of a pinhead 
to give an eagle lead poisoning. Right. Well, I was going to say, yeah, that's that's what they're saying about the the eagles, especially the golden eagles, are are seem to be having the hardest time with that. Um, one way, I guess, around that, as opposed to banning lead ammunition, would be an education campaign. You could teach hunters when you go through your hunter education course that instead of just leaving a gut pile laying there, you just dig a hole and bury it. Then these carrion animals can't get to it, and well, easy peasy. So um, to a point, I mean, I, but, proper disposal is a good way to get around that. But I mean, not necessarily always digging a hole because, like, a coyote or something like that could still dig it up. But on the same hand. Yeah. The, the you know it takes a lot more lead to uh, give an animal of the size of a coyote or a bear or something that is yeah. going to take the time to dig it up. It takes a lot more lead to give that that animal lead poisoning. But if it finds yeah. you know several gut piles, then you're, you're adding up. I say once they learn, they yeah. learn. I mean, you see it like when we go and duck hunt in uh, at, in the marsh. In the marsh, yeah. The shotguns start. Yeah, shots. Shotguns start going off, and the gators start moving towards boats. Yeah. They're trained. Plain and simple. They know where they can get and an the easy eagle, meal. The eagle starts flying. Yeah. Because they, 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 those are the number one and number two duck thieves out there. You, you're going to lose ducks to bald eagles, and you're going to lose ducks to gators. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of both out there. It's going to take a lot, a, quite a bit of lead to give a sizable gator lead poisoning now. Well, you know, we don't, we don't use, uh, Lead shot, yeah, to hunt waterfowl, yeah. But we're talking, we're talking about giving lead poisoning to a bear, yeah, or a coyote or something of that nature. That sucker's got to be habitually eating gut piles, and only eating gut piles. I, I'd yeah. honestly like to see. I gotta look into it. the 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 data of how many of those birds are actually being lost to that they can directly relate to lead poisoning from. From a gut pile, specifically a gut pile, and not well, any other source. You could get it from water. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, you're right. You go into a study and look at what kind of, uh, like the the metal content, the heavy metal content of the water that they consume around there. That's another question that I've seen brought up about the study, but it's uh fairly undeniable that when they get lead poisoning, there's a pretty dang good chance they got it from a gut pile because lead is not, you know, naturally occurring in the things that they eat. So, I mean, eagles, you said in the study that eagles were not the only, that bears were another one. So, so I mean, that's where the bears are coming in here. And like you said, that it takes a lot more lead. So that bear, not only does, okay, so, the bear has to get to the gut pile first, number one. And if the bear gets a hold of, you know, six gut piles, how much lead is in that? Is that enough lead? And that's one bear. You know what I mean? Because how, how many bears are in on a, a National Wildlife Refuge? Mm, not depends that many. On, yeah, it depends on the size of it. Probably not that many, though. But then we went and, you know, they also, uh, I think the more, the bigger thing with the bears was they, is that they wanted, uh, they were claiming that hunters were mistaking, uh, 
Oh, that's right. The I, bears. I, yeah. Mistaking grizzlies for, for black, black bears, bears, shooting them, and then in self-defense. Well, I mean, you have an inherent right to self-defense. So yes. if a bear is attacking me, whether I'm hunting or hiking, uh, I'm and I have a firearm, it's still going to get shot. Yeah. I can, I can kind of see the mistaken identity, but... But again, this this is all the same thing. All of this could, like Tyke was saying, all this could be solved through better education. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. Or could be, I wouldn't say solved, it could be mitigated through better education. Yes. And could, and I think a lot of that, not only education, but um, hunter mentorship as well. So you, you, you take a guy that maybe hasn't hunted a lot. Say they are black bear hunting on a refuge you take a guy that has maybe looked at some pictures online you know and then you you add in the the adrenaline when he finally does see a bear and it is a grizzly or a young grizzly that look could be about the size of a mature black bear at that time you know is it really how hard is it to tell the difference i mean i'm experienced in that so so what we have devised is can come down to education could make a huge difference. So here's a little education for you. All this shot that we consider non-toxic is still toxic. So even though it's still toxic, is it just, it, it could still be toxic or is it just less toxic than lead? Copper it's was just less toxic than lead. Um, yeah, so, so copper copper has been studied in in different uh, places. I know in you know like uh, water treatment and distribution, we have to uh, we have to test for it every three years to make sure we're not uh, over delivering copper contaminants to customers. Um, it it has different uh, dif- different effects that that can cause some problems with in humans uh, but when copper is uh, dissolved in water then the complexation of that compound is what actually causes the issues um, and so I don't know they're they're finding different things like copper is bad for algae and aquatic flora and things like that but it's primarily used in hunting waterfowl so I guess you know, we're not too concerned about those flora and fauna and algaes yet, or it can actually cause growth of harmful algaes, which is also bad. Um, and then, so bismuth is, bismuth is actually a radioactive uh, element, and it's a post-transition metal, and it has... Uh, it's siblings with arsenic and antimony. Um, and it is actually very slightly radioactive. Um, and it, it has a, it has a half-life that's a little more than a billion times the estimated, estimated age of the universe. So <laughs> they, they, they still they still consider it incredibly inert, but um, yeah, originally they thought that it was the the most dense and in, inert 
material that could be found um, and, until they proved otherwise. And so I just thought that was kind of funny when you know, well, we're all talking is, non-toxic. Then what is, I mean, it, so if it's inert, then if there is a denser inert material, then that would also be non-toxic, correct? If it's inert. Uh, no, so they, they always thought um, lead has some uh, toxicity and stuff in it, obviously. And so they thought bismuth, because it's very high on the atomic scale, that um, it was thought to be the highest uh, atomic mass that is actually stable is not radioactive but um they did find out in the early 2000s that it is not actually um completely <laughs> stable and uh, it has some alpha decay properties uh but the half-life is yeah it's pretty long half-life i mean just imagine the type of range we could get out of like number five number four uranium who? <laughs> oh. Dude, would you yeah. need number fours yeah. or would you need like 100 yard shot? <laughs> I mean, could you could step that shot size down a little bit there, bud. <laughs> I said number five. Number four, number five. Uranium. Yeah, that's that's what I shoot copper plated business. At that point, you just get five, five. you just get a little close. Radioactive the 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 uh, depleted radi- uranium. <laughs> they use depleted uranium and um, Sitka starts coming out with uh, radioactive suits that are Sitka camo. <laughs> <laughs> so we cover copper. We cover bismuth. Uh, tungsten. Tungsten is ungodly expensive. That's the problem with tungsten. And tungsten is not really viable as a bullet. It works well as a you know a shot out of a shotgun. But so why is it a, not viable as a bullet? So I'll tell you, the reason it works for a shot and not as a bullet is because tungsten is harder than steel. So if you shot a tungsten bullet through a steel barrel, it would just eat the barrel. Whereas okay. when you shoot tungsten down a shotgun, you have a shot cup designed for tungsten that protects the barrel from the tungsten shot itself. And the same thing works for steel. If you shot like bare steel shot down a steel barrel or down a, a shotgun barrel, it would destroy your barrel. It, it already does pitting. to a point, but less. Right, but <clears throat> you have uh, special shot cups designed to shoot steel shot Yeah, that kind of protect your barrel from the steel shot itself. And why effects a lot of people... on tar- oh, sorry. Go effects ahead, on target. Effects on target for tungsten would... Uh, would, would not be worth shooting the bullet anyway because it's not going you're not going to have any expansion or anything like that so it'd be the same as shooting i don't know just a marble at something um the size of you know deer size game it's not going to do any damage it will probably eventually kill the animal but not in an ethical way uh they would they would just bleed out you wouldn't have any kind of uh, blood trail to follow. That this thing is just going to pass through them with no internal damage, no internal organ damage. So you, I completely lost my train of thought. So, what what other alternatives are there that are other than so we covered copper, bismuth. Um, what other alternatives are there to those shot? Other than okay, so you got lead. That's obviously going to be out. Bismuth is okay, and so is copper. 
Steel is crappy, just in performance, I believe. But what what other shot is available? I don't know. For shot? Well, you got ITX. Which, well, ITX uh, is in all sorts of stuff. Um, but there's nobody that's commercially loading ITX except for... Does ITX load ITX in shot yes. shells? Yeah, that's what I thought. So <clears throat> there isn't anyone besides ITX commercially loading ITX. You're, you're when you're talking shot shells, uh, there are several companies out there that load bismuth, and everybody loads steel. Yeah. Um, and then like I shoot uh, a bismuth steel hybrid, and then Boss goes like you shoot takes well, the extra step and copper coats their bismuth. Um. And if you read and and look into ball, and it's not hard. They don't give you the exact alloy, but it is a bismuth tin alloy, I believe. Too, it is a bismuth alloy. It's not straight bismuth. And yeah. then they also copper coated on top of that. And the reason they tell you the reasoning behind their their copper coating is to hold the shot together. So bismuth doesn't really bend. Like lead wood, it's brittle. It's brittle, so it just breaks. So that's why they copper coat it. It's not to add weight or really it's or anything like that. It is to it is designed to keep the shot together instead of breaking apart. Hmm. And then, so when you're talking about rifle hunting ammunition, a lot of your hunting ammunition. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tyke, but you have these copper. Uh, is it partitioned copper solids? Is that what it's called? Where they're designed to uh, basically pedal out on impact? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. Partitioned, segmented. Um, yeah. Basically, they have a weak point that is uh, designed into the uh, point of the bullet that is supposed to split open on impact. And so that that weak point is is designed in, into that round so that it will will open, but but copper can't stretch as far as lead can. It's, lead can has a great malleability. Uh, so does copper, as compared to steel, but not compared to lead. And so what, what I think the main problem is, is they partition those bullets and then when they impact those partitions come off and then they have some erratic flight through some portion of that animal that you probably didn't want to destroy, uh, but it does this, the same way. And that's, that I think is the main problem with it. Um, yeah. So I, I don't so, really like them. So why are when, <clears throat> when we're talking like uh, king of three miles competitions, these guys are shooting CNC turned or milled solids. They're not shooting lead based ammunition. Why are they seeing accuracy out of that that we're not seeing out of? non-toxic 
hunting rifle ammunition. I, well, they're they're single turning these to make a have a specific engagement surface and a specific weight bullet weight, and you can use brass. Uh, brass is pretty heavy, uh, not not near like lead is, but it's much heavier than copper is, and so you can use things like brass, which is not that malleable. So when you're hunting, it's not a, a viable solution for really hunting with because of its immalleability um, but when you're shooting at you know, a piece of plywood at three miles brass works just fine and now i can basically i'm have a rifle and i can tune that rifle or tune a bullet to that rifle and make it do what i want it to do yeah we're talking so i half a grain weight at a time till it shoots like you want it to. Yeah. And, and you're playing with, uh, the engagement surface. You're playing with the ogive. Uh, you are, you know, whether you decide you can get away if you want to try to do a spitzer and a boat tail, or if you want to, you, you have all of these options that you can do to play with that bullet shape and engagement surface and weight and velocity and you can eke out the maximum performance um, i'm under the i have the theory that every rifle has a bullet weight engagement surface and velocity that will shoot lights out out of it unless there's some sort of mechanical defect like you know the the crown has a burr on it, or you have something like that that's going to throw something off. But I think if you had unlimited resources, you would be able to tune a cartridge to make even, you know, the the crappiest rifle off the shelf shoot dead on. Um, so I think that is possible, but it's that unlimited resource thing that a lot of us don't have. And so removing those mechanical defects from uh, the barrel and the action and the uh, resonance and you know floating that and blueprinting and everything reduces the number of velocity, bullet grain weight and engagement surface parameters that you have to play with in order to get accuracy out of that rifle. So you really think you could you could make a uh, a half minute thirty thirty? I think it's possible. Whew. Half minute at what? You say I, half minute? I think twenty yards. <laughs> <laughs> but what what is a half minute at twenty yards, man? That's even that is is would be pretty dang hard to achieve because you you're talking a, a half minute at a hundred yards is a half an inch, so. Uh, fifth of a half is more math than I can do with this much beer in my system. Um, <clears throat> but that's a really small group, even at 20 yards. And it's, it's smaller than caliber. Yeah. Smaller than the bullet. So a half inch one shot group of 20 yards of 30, 30 is entirely possible. Yeah. Yeah. I would, and so is a half inch one shot, uh, a three shot group at point blank range. Uh, that doesn't make it an accurate <laughs> rifle. <laughs> no, I said a half inch one shot group. 
All right. Yeah, half inch one shot group. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Entirely possible. All right. That's uh that's why uh every time I shoot that muzzleloader up there on the wall, I only shoot it once and I tell everybody it shoots uh half an MOA at 100 yards. There you that's go. It. 50 caliber. Dead on. Half Punches MOA the same every time. Hole. <laughs> well, you need one shot anyways, right? As long as it's still on. Oh man. But we we could continue down a rabbit hole, rabbit hole, and and just drive this on for another two hours. But I'm not going to do that because we have when you get here, then we actually put you in front of a microphone. Uh, then we can rabbit hole it because we'll actually have some testing to do. Um, we'll have you back on towards the end of June uh, via the computer, and then we will put you in the studio after the testing. And that's going to be an interesting podcast because Zach has already ordered some copper solids. Uh, we're going to work on getting some other copper solids and hunting ammunition. And we're going to do some accuracy testing, some damage testing and copper versus lead based ammunition. And man, I mean, we could go down rabbit holes of why haven't, why, why don't we have, uh, bismuth cord hunting rounds for a rifle. Hey, whoa, that's a secret, man. Oh, shh. Sorry. <laughs> can't start talking. Patent. Can't start talking. Patent pending. Patent pending. Not to be used without the express written consent of Ricky Bobby. All right. <laughs> <laughs> to kind of wrap things up, hunting as we know it has been and will always continue to be under attack. Under attack. Uh, I would monitor this lawsuit carefully because it will set a precedent because if we go outside of the 1997 act, then that's just going to set the pace for the future. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and lead us into the tip of the week and say that my, my tip is to be involved if your legislature allows you to do so, uh, which I know some states do, some states don't. Here in Florida, we have uh, commission meetings, which we can all attend via sometimes in person, sometimes via you know, a WebEx meeting or uh, Zoom or whatever. And we can submit comments and talk about rules and regulations and all that stuff and how we want it to play out. But be there and and be heard because if you don't say anything, you don't, in my opinion, you don't have a right to, you don't have a right to bitch. Tyke, what do you got? Briar never knows what he's going to say. So when... Don't pass up dump treasures. All oh, right. God. So some of my greatest some of my greatest items that I have sitting in my garage and around here have come straight from the dump. Somebody thought they were no good. Um, I've got a, two Husqvarna chainsaws that need a new pull cord. And the guy said, you want these? I said, yeah, I'll take them. Throw them in. I know. I know. I just brought you a bunch of trash, but I'll take your trash too. Um, all I did was change the pull cord and put gas in them, and that thing fired up. 
I got a uh, Matthews L100 reflex deflex bow hanging up over here because uh, one of the limb limb tips had broken off and so the string was cutting through it so I just used some old knife handle material glued that on shaped it up with some files and and I got it going so uh, you know there, there's treasure everywhere if you know where to look and you keep your eyes open I feel like uh, at this point Tyke is on pace to about every two weeks uh, when I talk to him he's like I got a new chainsaw from the dump <laughs> I actually does it ran run? into yeah, it doesn't run. So here's how this goes. I get on the phone with Ty because I got a new chainsaw from the dump today. And we talk on the phone for twenty to forty five minutes and at about that mark he goes, Hang on just a second and I hear <laughs> and he's got it running. Uh, but uh, I actually ran into a guy today who was had was showing me his his dump treasures while I was at work, and he had a uh, propane uh, powered a propane gas power head like to a weed eater. Hmm. Ran on those little <laughs> green propane cylinders. I was oh, like, I dang. he's like, you ever seen you ever seen a propane you ever seen a propane powered weed eater? I was like, uh, no, but I'm you've piqued my interest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of want one now. Yeah. <laughs> It's definitely a little oh. propane-powered little powerhead. You'd have to still put the shaft and everything on there, but yeah, pretty neat. Uh, you, hmm. you could use that powerhead for a lot of stuff, though. I was going to say, yeah, that, that just sounds like a usable motor for a lot of dumb stuff to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it sounds like you could get up to some shenanigans for that, He's, maybe. He says, you know what kind of, what size tank you could put on that sucker? <laughs> Walking around with a twenty-five pound tank on your back. <laughs> it's got a, got a twenty-five pound tank mounted to get you one of those tricycles with a basket in the back. Twenty-five pound tank, yeah, power yeah. head, just running that sucker down the road. <laughs> Propane's cheap, boy. <laughs> All right, who's next? I'm gonna say, uh, always have a buddy that's smarter than you, right? Because there's a lot of stuff I don't know that. Y'all know, I mean, Ty gets to talking about some of this ammunition stuff, and it just sounds like uh, like one of the parents from The Simpsons to me. <laughs> You're or talking not, about Charlie Brown. Yeah, Charlie Brown. Sorry. Yeah. The teacher from Charlie Brown. That's what I mean. Sounds like the teacher from Charlie Brown to me, but he knows it, and I don't. So if I ever need to know it, yeah, we'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's any adult in Charlie Brown, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, every adult. Yeah, every adult. I don't know why I said the Simpsons. (laughs) What do you got, Briar? Now is the time to start thinking about next hunting season. So, that means, you know, you got to earn them kitchen passes with the old lady, get the honeydew list done. Now's the time to do it. Preach. Get it done now. So when hunting season comes around, when hunting season comes around, because I'm thinking about it now, that's why I know come hunting season I want to hunt and not do that crap. There you you only got a month. Say what? You only got a month. What are you hunting in a month? Spring turkey, homie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, after you know, you got that March 19th. We don't don't, say we don't have a month. We have about uh, like two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Uh, two weeks. Turkey's not. How cold. long is, how long is y'all season? 
Uh, depends on well, I guess if you hunted all the zones, it runs from March into May. Oh, okay. Yeah, we don't do zones. It's March, March twenty sixth, last Saturday in March to first Saturday in May. That's like well, you know, if you hunted all the zones for deer season in Florida, you could hunt from. <clears throat> you could almost literally roll directly out of the deer stand into the turkey woods. February, yeah, like February 10th is like your last day or something like that. Um, Just about. You can run from August until almost to March for deer and then roll into Turkey in March. I mean, start back in the south, the southern zone around the Everglades, work the way, work back way north. north again. Gator you guys seasons. are five, you guys are five toms in the spring. Two, two, two. Two, your that possession your possession limits two and your data limits two, so you can shoot both your toms in one day. Okay. And that changed in probably fourteen. I say it wasn't too long ago. It was about two thousand fourteen. It, used it to was be, only one per day. Yeah, one a day, two on the season. Yeah. So those things are like ticks out here. They are here too. Until turkey season. Someone, yeah. Yeah, until turkey season. <laughs> but, well. I have uh, 80, 85 of them come through my backyard every morning. Okay, they're not that bad here. How much is the plane ticket in California again? Yeah. <laughs> How much is your non resident license? license? <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> Unless you're disabled, then it's 749 Mentally? <laughs> Still too much. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know what? On that note, we'll catch you guys next week. You have a good... Hey, oh, before I let you go. <sighs> the crawfish boil. Buy your dang tickets to the crawfish boil. You ain't buying them. We ain't boiling them. <laughs> <laughs> you better get them for they're gone. That's that all too. I gotta say, because I did put a cap on that, and I'm not buying... Uh, but so many crawfish. We have to be able to bring crawfish back to Florida, so <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, but get your crawfish tickets. There's going to be a link in the podcast description. You'll be able to click on that and get your crawfish tickets. And then uh, thank we, you guys for joining us. We even have a QR code up on Facebook, so you just scan it with your phone. Yeah. See, that's the tough part is you got to scan the QR code with somebody else's phone if it's on your phone screen. Yeah. Yeah. Pull it up on the computer. There you go. Yeah, perfect. It's a Twilight Zone. <laughs> well, we'll catch you guys next week.